You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Tonight, we're going to continue in our series on 1 John. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to the first epistle of John. And we're going to continue with our series entitled Be Real. Everybody say, Be Real. Be Real. Is there anything we need? Amen. In 2019, is we need born again Christians, born again believers that are real. So not just uh, uh, going through the motions, but but have the goods that really are what God wants you to be. And that's what John sort of deals with in this epistle. He deals with being real, the the reality of being a Christian, and he brings it down to a very practical purpose. He he he's going to show some things that we are going to touch on tonight that may, uh, uh, may, may sort of, as the old timers used to say, step on your toes a little bit and sort of invite you back to this genuine or uh, buzzword of the day, authentic relationship, manifest testimony, amen, of, of a believer. So last week, just real quick, the first slide. Uh, uh, second slide, I guess. Last week, we covered a few topics getting in, and we started with, uh, uh, in First John, how we opened up talking about his experience and his testimony, and then we talked about the fellowship, and then we, we shared the pastor's heart. The pastor's heart and desire was that we would be full of joy, that we would have the joy of the Lord in our life, full of the joy of the Lord. And then he broke it down and got down to the real issue, the message, that is that God is light, the message, the fundamental message, God is light. And we could go on and we could exhaust that, uh, but we're not going to do that here. Uh, We've already done that at other times. We may revisit it again. There's nothing more powerful than the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Somebody say amen. And John writes about this uh, fully in his gospel account of John. And so here he references the message, God is light. So we could unpack that, but we won't do that. And so tonight we're going to go on and um, we're going to begin at verse number six. So, wow, we didn't get very far last week, did we? So, amen. All right, we're going to get far tonight. Amen. By the help of the Holy Ghost, we'll at least get... Uh, through a little bit here. So let's begin, pick up right here at verse number six. And we're going to look at uh, uh, the concept of being real. So he says this, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And he said, and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sin, sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So these are powerful, powerful statements here. 
that John gives to us. I'm going to break them down, and we'll go to the third slide here, the second outline. And I'm going to give you four things that we're going to cover in the, uh, uh, let's say five things, right? Five things we're going to cover in, in the last part, and we're going to do it by verse by verse. So verse six, we're going to title it as our series title, Be Real. This is what he's talking about. Be real. If, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. So John is saying, be real. If you are a born-again believer, if you have been redeemed, if you have been set free, if you have been delivered, if you've been called out, if you have been given new life, then don't live your life the way it once was. Don't f put false advertising. How many, how many hate false advertising? False advertising. You ever, you ever open up the ads in the, in the, in the, the junk mail that you get and what it looks like just says, oh, I want that. Anybody ever become a sucker for the ads pictures? Does anybody ever go to the restaurants that don't have, uh, they have pictures for the menu, that's all they have? And you go there, say, I'm gonna get this, but then when you start flipping through the menu, if they've got pictures, right, it looks too good. I want that. Oh, if the food ever actually looked like the pictures. That's what I think heaven's going to be like. Heaven is just going to be what it is. False advertising. Nobody likes false advertising. It looks so great. And then, you, get, you know, they show the picture of, of the, the cheeseburger, and it's, it's piled high. And, man, it's got all that stuff on there. And, you know, thick piece of slice of tomato. I mean, nothing better in the summer than that right there. And then when you go and you buy it and you pick it up, it is smashed down. Looks like they put a flat iron on top of that thing, wrapped it up in a paper bag and threw it out there. It's like it's a little bit bigger than a pancake. And, and this is what I'm buying, false advertising. Nobody likes, nobody likes false advertising. Amen. Nobody likes false advertising. I don't know why this is dinging at me. Nobody likes false advertising. So this is what John is saying. Be real. Don't say you're something and then, and, and then not because that works to the detriment of your experience. Last week we talked a little bit about his experience and about his testimony. If you are not living in the light, but yet you claim to be a Christian, you will turn people off to what it means to be a Christian. Amen? And so unfortunately today, true Christianity has to live down a lot of misnomers. And a lot of times, true Christianity has to tear down a lot of barriers and break down a lot of walls before you can break into somebody's heart because they've seen so much false advertisement. And so uh, that's why we got to be long-suffering. Amen? Because sometimes people, they're, you know, they just don't get it. They've, they've been sold such a bill of, of lies in their life that they're not always going to believe it the first time. you got to be long-suffering. you got to just endeavor to work. And so that's the first thing. Verse 7, he gives to us here the testimony of fellowship. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. So he gives us the testimony of fellowship. And there's two parts here in this verse of the testimony of fellowship. Number one, the testimony is the walk. 
the walk that you walk. And number two, it's the work that's taken place in your life. So number one, the testimony of fellowship is the walk. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. So don't claim to be a Christian but not walk in the light. The light of God's uh, 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 illumination and revelation. And, and it changes you. When the Holy Ghost gets a hold of you, it changes you. You don't just come to church and have an encounter with God and you go out there and you're the same. It changes you. When Moses came down from that mountain, he was not aware of it. But just because he had been in the glory presence of God, the Bible says when he came down that his face radiated so brilliantly that the people could not look upon the face of Moses, that he had to veil his face. Am I in the Bible? He was just standing there. I'm going to tell you, that ought to be the effect. There ought to be an effect of the Spirit of God upon your heart and upon your life. So when you leave an encounter with God, amen, it ought to radiate from, it ought to radiate from your spirit. It ought to radiate from your soul. So the walk that you're walking, there ought to be something that's different. It ought to testify to you. Uh, 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 the, uh, the, the, um, when, you, when you've had an encounter with God and you go back into your home, your family ought to see you differently. It's all right? When you've had an encounter with God and you go back to your workplace, they ought to know something that's different. The dog ought to be able to tell something happened to you. <laughs> the cat ought to know, hey, there's something up here. Right? I mean, I mean, I, yeah, no, I'm being funny here. But seriously, like they ought to know, like, hey, there's something different about that. The children ought to know. I tell you, children can pick up on that kind of stuff. Children are sensitive at a young age, which is what one reason that makes them so vulnerable. Children ought to pick up on that kind of thing. The, 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 the brightness, the illumination, the, the joy, the grace, the mercy, the, the blessing, the light of God in our life. Amen. The testimony of fellowship is in our walk. And then secondly, it's in the work. He said, he said, you have fellowship one with another. There is a walk. Amen. There is a fellowship. You are a part of a, a, uh, a body. You're a part of, a, uh, Paul said, a royal priesthood and a holy nation a peculiar people. You now have fellowship with the body of Christ. You now are the children of God. Behold, you are the sons of God. Something has happened. You've changed. And so now that you have that fellowship, he said, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sins. That means we've been washed clean. So that means what? I don't walk around under, I don't walk around under the bondage of sin anymore. I'm not subject to sin in my life, right? But not only that, I don't walk around with the guilt and the shame of sin anymore. If, any ought to, if anybody ought to be uh, uh, confident in themselves, uh, not in themselves, but in who they are, it ought to be a born-again believer. It ought to be a born-again, baptized, spirit-filled believer. Not because of who we are, but because of what he's done for us. The blood of Jesus Christ hath cleansed me from all sins. Stand up tall. Look people in the eye. There's no shame. There's no, there's no fear. 
Anybody with me here? Folks, I'm going to tell you, if, if, if we could talk to the next generation, I'm going to tell you, there, it's, you know, every generation has challenges in the next generation, but where we're living right now with the advent of technology and the inundation of all that stuff, if, if young people today can just learn to walk with confidence, hold their head up, look people in the eye, and hold a, hold a full conversation and not be afraid, they're going to be like a step above of like most people in their generation. Right? Because, I mean, most people, we're communicating so much now through digital means that our personal encounters are, uh, uh, we're intimidated, we're, we're, we're uncomfortable, whatever. But I'm going to tell you, there is another element of guilt and shame that the world carries around because of the effects of sin in your life. If you're in trouble, people don't look, sometimes people don't look you in the eyes. They're ashamed. They're afraid. They're, they don't even know why they can't do that. But there's just this weight of stuff that weighs upon them. When, when the blood of Jesus Christ, when you have been forgiven, when you have been redeemed, amen, there is an ability to walk up to somebody you don't know and say, hey, how are you doing? My name is Andrew. I'm so glad to meet you. It's nice to meet you. I don't have any inhibitions. I'm not worried about what they're thinking about me because I know what God has done for me, and I'm only interested in sharing the love of Jesus Christ with them. I'm not worried whether they like me, Now I hope they like me, and I'm trying to be friendly, and I'm trying to win them over, if you get what I'm saying. But there ought to be something inside that is verifiable. So not only in my walk, but in the work of Jesus Christ. I'm not coming to them how I can manipulate them, how I can milk them, how I can use them. I have been set free by sin in my life, and I am now a child of God, and, I, and I've, been, I've been delivered from all of that stuff, and it ought to affect you. And so there is a testimony of fellowship. These are the intangibles of why people will know you're different. They're not going to know you're different because now, now, now we, 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 we do sometimes we dress, dress different and, and we dress modestly and we conduct ourselves in modest manner and we understand all that, but they don't know we're different because my neighborhood doesn't know I'm different because I've been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues. They don't know that. Now, I pray in my house all the time. I pray when I'm mowing the grass, I pray whatever, that's, but I don't stand out there with a bullhorn telling it, speaking in tongues to everybody because that's not how you, that's not how, if I do that, they might like lock me up. I don't, I don't know, you know, like that's not, that's not how we win them. But there's an intangible, you, you understand what I'm saying? When you go to work, okay, don't stand up on your break and try to speak in tongues and condemn everybody. And all. That's not how you're going to win people. But there's an intangible the people are going to know, I don't know what's different about you. Has anybody ever said that to you? I have had people tell me that. I don't know what's different about you. Have you ever had somebody say this? Why are you always happy? Come on. I'm talking about, I mean, people are like, it's like they don't get it. I don't understand. How can you just look somebody in the eye? How can you just, because God has set me free. I'm not worried about all that stuff. There is a, there is a testimony of fellowship. That's what, that's what John is talking about. Turn to somebody and say, be real. So when this happens, you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to work this up. It's an automatic. It just happens. It just, it's just the fruit of the Spirit is going to come out. You're gonna, people are going to know this. They're going to perceive that. In verse 8, we look at what John gives us here as, as horrible self-deception. He says that if we say we have no sin, 
We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we say, oh, you know, uh, and he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to people in the church. And he's saying, if you say you have no sin, not, not that you've never committed sin, not, not that you are um, set free from sin, delivered by sin, uh, from sin and all that stuff. But if you're saying in your heart that uh, there's nothing wrong with you, this is, this is a different approach than what Paul said. Paul says this, I die daily. Paul said, the good that I would, I do not. And that which I want to do, <clears throat> I realize I don't always do that. At another place, he said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body? I can't wait to shed this old flesh that every morning gets up and rears its head and I got to crucify my flesh again. Every day I've got to take up my cross and I got to crucify it. That, that's the difference. If you say, oh, well, you know, this is sort of like a holier than thou attitude. Well, look, Christ chose me, so I'm better than everybody else. I'm, I, I, that, he said, if you, if you are saying that you don't need God every single day and, and that you don't need an altar of repentance, he said, he said, you are deceiving yourself and the truth is not in you. You say, well, I never say that. Oh, yeah? You can walk by the sinner. <laughs> remember, remember the parable the Lord gave us or the story the Lord gave us where, the, where the, uh, uh, the Pharisee was there and he was praying and he said, God, I thank you that you have not made me as this, this man, this publican who was a commoner, a publican. He was seen as somebody who was not yet in covenant with God. He was seen as an outsider, but yet he came in his desperation and he's falling on the altar and, he, and he's so overwhelmed with emotions, he has lost all pride and sense of, of, of his surroundings that he's beating his chest and saying, God, have mercy upon me. We don't know what happened in his life to lead him to this breaking point of utter humility and desperation inspiration before the Lord. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is there's a Pharisee over there saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like him, that I'm better than him. God said, no, no, you, you missed it. You need to be like him. You ought to be on your face. You ought to have that same desperation. You ought to have that same understanding of dependable, uh, absolute dependence upon the grace and the mercy of God. And if you're saying, I have no, I have no and I don't have any problems. Oh, I'm not like the rest of the world. He said, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in you. When you walk around in your self-righteousness and you walk around saying, well, I'm better than everybody else and you won't take time when it's the Levite that will pass by the man that's been stoned, right? When it's the Pharisee that'll walk by and finally in the Lord's story, there's a Samaritan that pauses and the Samaritan stoops down to help him. He said, that, he said, that's false advertisement. That's deception. You deceive yourself. When you say, I don't have any sin, he said, you deceive yourself in that sense. I'm going to tell you, we've got to, we've got to guard against this in our heart that this thing doesn't just become religion. Is that all right? 2019, we can't just be comfortable with the world going as they are and us coming to church and feeling the presence of God and feeling good and walking home 
and, and, and never, never having any empathy, never having any compassion, never having any love for anybody else. This is what Paul, this is what John is saying here. He said, we deceive ourselves. And then in verse 9, he talks about true conversion. If we confess our sins, if we confess our sins and we realize, Lord, and you hear me say it a lot, if it had not been for the grace of God, if it had not been for the grace of God, where would I be? Folks, let's not forget where God found us. Let's not forget where God brought us from. Let's not forget where God pulled us out of. I mean, there, 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 it doesn't matter. If you go back in your lineage uh, uh, and, 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 and you were from a, a royal blood, the royals were just as much sinners, if not worse, and needed God. So God saved you from that. Or, or you go back and say, well, you know, my family was saved out of the gutters. Literally, that's, that's, that's the story of some, of some of my family. God saved us out of that stuff. Thank God for that. Thank God for that. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we confess our sins, and God cleanses us. We, we confess our sins, and he is faithful. Somebody say faithful. faithful. That means without fail. He's faithful. That means if I confess my sins and God save me, he can save you. And if he saved you, he can save the next person. And if he saved the next person, he can save the drug addict. Hello? And he can save the prostitute. And he can save the terrorist. Right? I mean, is there a limit to the grace of God? Or are we saying that we are better than somebody else because God can save me, but he can't save someone else? No, we know he is faithful and just to forgive us if we truly confess and to cleanse us, I like this, from all unrighteousness. <laughs> Amen. Was it, who was it that used to sing a song? Won't he make you clean? Inside. Now that's the 90s coming out in me when I was a kid. Um, who was it? Was that Kirk Franklin? Was it? No. Who was it? Somebody. So, and the whole song, we as the youth used to sing it. Won't he make you clean? Mm -mm -mm. Inside. Mm -mm -mm. I'm really bringing out the 90s here right now. And that was it. And I'd, we'd turn that on and we'd sing it. Won't he make you clean? Inside. Won't he make you clean inside? Won't he? And we do all the different parts. And that was the whole song. That was it. I did not dream that. No, I promise. I, I think we might have even sang it in the choir. I know, I know. I didn't dream. That's right. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. Who was it? Hezekiah Walker. Thank you. Yes, I knew. I knew it was. See? We had revival with that. We'd sing, man, we'd start shouting, we'd go, we'd break acapella, we'd be, you'd have the bass over there kicking back in by itself, just a little. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You look it up. You go YouTube that tonight. You all go YouTube that. And you listen to that on the way home. That's all, you, that's all, you got the song. Won't he make you clean inside? That's the thing. He will make you absolutely, totally clean. There's no part that God says, well, I can handle this, this, and this, but I can't take care of this. No, he takes care of everything. It is absolute. It is complete. 
I'll never forget, we were doing a revival, and it was in southern Indiana, and, and there was a lady, first, first, it was a Wednesday through Sunday, something like that, and the first night she came, church, never been in a Pentecostal church in her life. And uh, so she was, she was, uh, they were, they were, they were uh, exuberant, I guess you could say. By, by the second hymn, the whole church was marching around. It was a country church. The whole church was marching around. She'd never been anything like that. So we got up and preached and gave an altar call, and she felt, she felt the spirit drawing her. She's crying. She didn't even know why she's crying. And so I went down there, and I just asked her, and I said, have you ever repented of your sins? And she just looked at me. I said, do you know what repentance is? She just looked at me. So I told her what repentance was. Oh, yeah. So well, let's repent. So the first night we repented. So then I talked to her afterwards a little bit about baptism, and Janelle was praying with her. And so it was, I don't know, I can't remember what night. Some, later on, maybe it was Sunday, but she finally said, I want to be baptized. I want to be baptized. And so she, she was going to get baptized. So the pastor said, why don't you baptize her? And so she was back there. Janelle was back there with her, and she came out. And she was getting ready, we were getting ready to uh, baptize her. And she said, now, she said, um, she said, when, when I'm baptized, does God, like, wipe away this sin? And she told me a sin. And I said, yes. I said, when you're baptized, you are baptized for the remission of sins, all sins. And she said, well, well what about this sin? And it got a little bit more, it's a, it a little bit bigger sin. I don't know how to say it, you know. And I'm just... I'm just being excited. Yes, God's going to do it. He said, well, what about this sin? And I could see where we were going. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, I was scared where that was going to end up. I said, don't tell me anymore. I don't need to know anymore. All you need to know is every sin you could ever commit, imagine, think of. You are washed free from his blood remits you are cleansed in Jesus name she was like all of them I said all of them in one time that's it I mean she was thinking like there's no way surely I got to be baptized for every single sin I've done kind of thing people she had never heard this before and I loved the raw newness of her understanding she was like wow and and she got baptized God filled her with the Holy Ghost it was an awesome thing we were back the next year and there she was and she brought her husband her husband was in church then and it was just so cool how God had gotten hold I don't know about you but I am thankful that Jesus Christ the Bible the song says for his blood reaches to the high, from the highest mountain to the lowest valley. And it flows. Amen. Come on. It's going to cleanse everything. So if we confess our sins, amen. He's faithful and just to forgive us. And then in verse 10, we come to now this issue of self-righteousness. And he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Self-righteousness is the opposite of conversion because conversion says, I need a Savior. Conversion says, I need a Redeemer. I need a Savior. Conversion confesses your need for a Savior. Self-righteousness says, I don't need a Savior. You say, well, I'm not self-righteous. Every time that we say, God, I don't need you, hear me, we're telling God I'm good enough. I've got this on my own. Be real. John's saying be real. 
Don't come to church for certain things that you need. Oh, yeah, God, I need a blessing. I need a, I need a miracle financially. I, I, need, I need spiritual. God, I, I, need, I need physical healing in Jesus' name. God, I need that. But, oh, Lord, I got this area covered. Hear me. He said, if we say we have not sinned, he said, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. If you want to be in fellowship, God, I don't just need you in the financial and the physical and the spiritual. God, I need you in every area of my life because, because I've got to have you. I've got to have you. I, I need God in my marriage. I need God in my home. I need God in parenting. Somebody said amen. I need grace. I need God. Lord, I need you. I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure this out. Lord, I've got to have you in my life in every area of my life. Self-righteousness is the opposite of conversion. It, it, um, it says we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I'm not going to spend long here, but you could take this and unpack this in your own life. In the areas I've done this where I've said, God, I don't need you. You make him a liar. Can, can I just bring it down where the rubber meets the road? If you think you can live your days without prayer, you're making God a liar. Because when the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray, he said, okay, this is how you ought to pray. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day, not this week, not this month, our daily that prayer was intended to be a daily prayer. It was intended to be a, a daily thing. You've got to walk in the Spirit. You've got to live in the Spirit. And if you say, okay, God is reserved. God, I put you first. I, I, I reserve you for Sundays and Wednesdays. No, if he's not your all in all, if he's not your above all, all throughout your life, you make him a liar. You've reduced him down just next to another idol that you can find in the world. You can pick up somewhere else, wherever you want. And you make him a liar. And the truth, his word is not in us. My little children, in verse two, chapter 2, verse 1, he said, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. That's the end of the sentence. I'm going to pause there. And we'll come to the next half of the verse. But I, I just want to look at the first sentence in this verse. My little children, this is a, this is a term of endearment. John is writing now. He's an elder. He's, he's, he's the, the last of the apostles to be living. And John's writing near the end of his life. And he's writing to the church as in, in that endearment kind of thing, that fatherly manner. My little children, there's, he, he's making a claim here, and he's, he's invoking his relationship, his experience, but he's also trying to uh, 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 um, project, is the word I'm looking for, his love and his desire. My little children, these things write I unto you for this purpose. It's not to serve me, but that ye sin not. Be real. He's trying to get his, his, his fellow believers, he's trying to write to the church, he's trying to edify, he's trying to encourage them to understand that they can live at a level. They can live at a level in the spirit and in the anointing of God where they have absolute victory over sin. And you do not have 
to sin. Now that is something that is lost, I think, on our generation today. We've preached grace, which is right. We preach mercy and love, which is right. But we've almost preached it to the effect that it doesn't matter how bad you are, God still loves you, his love's unconditional. I get all of that stuff, but we preach it almost to the understanding that Christians are weak and anemic and we're constantly coming back to God. Paul said, I die daily. But Paul also stood in the same thing and said, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, I've won the victory, I haven't given in, I've overcome. So while he was saying, I need God every day, and he was understanding the priority of submission and repentance to God, he was also standing in confidence and in victory. And this is what John is writing here. And John is saying that you sin not. You do not have to live subject to sin, but you can live your life every day with total absolute victory over sin. That's not self-righteousness. That's being a real born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Amen. So the enemy wants to says, well, no, you, 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 you got to sin every day. You, you're sinning. You, you, no, God is trying to build this up in us. So I, I want to go to the third slide, I think it is. The conditions of fellowship. There's three conditions of fellowship that John gives us here. The conditions of fellowship. And those three are this. In verse 1 and 5, he said, this, uh, 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 walk in the darkness. Walk, not walk in the darkness. Walk in the light. If we walk in the light, that says 1-5. It should say 1-7. That's my fault. I should say 1-7. Walk in the light. So the first condition of fellowship is we have to walk in the light. So that's, that's our attitude. That's our, uh, our lifestyle. That's who we are. That's how we conduct ourselves. Our walk. Number two, the conditions of fellowship, we've got to confess our sins. We've got to confess. I need a Savior in my life. We've got to confess our sins. We've got to own up and take responsibility for the things in our life, and we come to the Lord, and we lay that at his feet and say, Lord, here I am. I, I need you in my life. And then number three, the third condition of fellowship is that we sin not. Sin not. I can't come as a preacher. I can't, I can't be... I can't be murdering people and embezzling money and doing all this stuff and say, well, no, 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 the grace and the mercy of God. You've got to just forgive me. No, 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 no. There's conditions of fellowship here. If I truly have, if I'm going to be real, if I've really been born again, I'm not going to be subject to those things. That doesn't mean that you don't war in your flesh. Paul says, I war. He said, the good that I would, I do not. That which I would not, that I do. He's talking about, he said, there's a war in my flesh and my spirit. Oh, yeah, the flesh rises up every day. The flesh says, but we've overcome the flesh. And we have victory over the flesh. And so here he's writing, and he's saying, sin not. And here's a note I put. God does not ask us, God does not ask something of us that we cannot do that he doesn't enable us to do. God does not ask us to live a sinless life unless he's enabled us to live a sinless life. And you know how I know he's enabled us to live a sinless life? Because he lived a sinless life. We don't live that light in our ability. We live it through his righteousness. We live it through his grace. And we live it through his mercy. Old things are passed away. The account is washed clean. And I can live a life with a clear conscience and a clean record. Amen? Amen? So, 
I'll never forget one, one, of, uh, um, one of my dear friends, good friends, Pastor Wayne Naylor, pastors in Danville, Kentucky. He was here probably four years ago, came through town, passed through town, was here on a Wednesday night. He preached about the right hand of God, taught about the right hand of God. And uh, Wayne's a dear friend, known him probably, I don't know, 17, 18 years now. And uh, his dad is probably one of a few men that I've met who had an incredible, incredible mind. Not only his mind, but he has, he probably read more, more broadly than anybody else I knew. I have a lot of books in my library. I say a lot, uh, uh, some of them, a good number. Uh, came from him, things he'd say, okay, Andrew, here, you got it. Every time I'd go back there and I'd preach, he started, he'd give me 10, 20 books, and he'd send me stuff, and he was sending me stuff weekly. He was sending me highlights on his Kindle. Hey, you've got to read this. Here's this, and here's that, and he read so broadly. He was never a preacher, never a minister, uh, but he had a little Bible study group on, I can't remember, it was on a midweek morning, and whoever wanted to meet him in the church would come with him. He was just, he was just a good guy and uh, lived his life. And, of course, his son is a tremendous preacher. Wayne pastored one time. Wayne was pastoring three three different churches at the same time, which logistically is almost impossible. I don't know how he did that. Four services on a Sunday, and they were all doing great. And then he handed them on. Uh, uh, But Brother Naylor, Ron Naylor, contracted cancer. And... It was, it was a horrible deal at the end. He lost so much weight. And I took some time. This was before we came here one summer. I had a week off. And so I took some time, drove down there. And I said, Brother Naylor, I just want to come and see you. So I called Wayne and I said, hey, is your dad up for it? And he said, well, we'll see. So I went down and just took a few days to go down there. And he was able to meet me one afternoon. He had, inter- he had enough energy for one afternoon. And so we went over to his house. Wayne took me over there and there in his house. Um, it was well kept, but the man had books upon books upon books. And so you can imagine, if I, I don't even know what the volume of his library was. It was unbelievable. But he took me back into his, his room. And his room was a third or fourth bedroom or whatever. And, and it was floor to ceiling books, probably three, four deep. There were piles all around, and we somehow etched out three chairs in there, and he had one comfortable chair. Brother Naylor couldn't talk very loud. At the end of his life, cancer was taking him. He ended up passing away. I think it was the next week, and I was the last guest to come to his house that he was able to see anybody outside of his family. And so I sat there with him, and just at that point, we're not talking books. We're not talking anything. We're just certain death is, is imminent, and he knows unless God undergirds. And he said, I don't think God's going to. He said, I don't feel like in this instance that God's going to do it. I don't feel like that's God's purpose. And as he sat there and he was talking with me, and what do you say? Brother Naylor, what, what do you want to say? Here I am. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a minister. I'm a student of the word. What, what something in everything that you've read, everything that you've read all over the place, he had, he had read all kinds of he read agnostic and atheist. He read, he said, he told me one time, he said, don't read stuff that you agree with. He said, you got to read the people that you don't know because if you're ever going to reach them, you got to know how they think. And so he had read philosophy and he'd read stuff way over his pay grade, way beyond my comprehension. So what do you say? And he, I remember him sitting there and the thing that stuck out is he said, Andrew, 
And he was talking to me and Dwayne. It was a cool moment. And he said, I'm convinced now more than ever that through the power of the Holy Ghost, when Jesus gives us the Holy Ghost, the purpose of the Holy Ghost is so that we can have absolute power over sin. He said, as Christians, we, we too often think, well, I'm going to sin a little every day and I'm going to go back to the Lord. He said, no. He said, I am convinced that there is no sin that we do that we are not willfully choosing to commit. If you will let the power of the Holy Ghost to be in your life, he said, you can live a life without sin. And after he had read everything, after you could take all the knowledge and all the, I mean, my goodness, everything, that was what he came down to tell me. That was what was at the last part of his life is I can live my life without sin. That I have victory over sin. That I can truly be redeemed. That I can be Christ-like. That I can think like Christ. That I can talk like Christ. That I can love like Christ. That there won't be any ill witness or attitudes or spirits or, or lust or things in your life that you can live at this level without sin. This is what I feel like John was writing and he's saying, my children, my children, I write all of these things unto you for one thing, that you sin not. God has given you all of the power in the world that you need. If you just have faith in God, you can live your life above sin. You don't have to succumb to anything. And in the face of death, that's what he was looking at. And he's saying, I can live my life without sin. I'm dying without sin. I'm dying as a born again, redeemed human being. Walking into eternity, that was what he was saying. I can live my life without sin. I'm gonna tell you, that ought to be our objective. God, I want to be so full of the Holy Ghost. I want to be so focused on you. I want you to be Lord of my life. I don't want there to be these little areas where I'm pushing you off and saying, God, I don't need you here. We make God a liar. He said, no, we can live life without sin. What does your life look like? I'm not asking you to look at anybody else. I'm asking you, think about what does your life look like without sin? That's the level that God wants us to live at. So many times we're focused on the material things and the junk and the stuff that fades, the vanity of vanity. It's all vanity. But where God wants you to live is he wants you to live at a level without sin. Be real. That's what this is about. If you're coming to church just so that God can give you a new car or a new house, right? Or a new spouse, Now, it's a good place to find a spouse. Don't get me wrong. Right, not a new one if you've already got one. That's, that's let's, yeah, let's, let's clarify that, okay? Let's, let's make sure here, no confusion here. Praise God. But the objective is, God, that I can live my life without sin. Live it as he intends us to live us that we can walk in the light as he is in the light, that we can have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son. It doesn't say cleanses or cleansed. It says cleanseth us from all sin. It cleanseth us from all sin. 
There is no sin in us. You can live your life without sin in you now. No effect of sin. No, no influence over sin. No bondage over sin. There's too many people that are living still bound by certain things. I don't have to throw the stats. You can Google them on your own time, but the Pew Research of, of, of the infidelities and the immoralities and all of the failures that take place among people who are quote-unquote so-called Christians. And sometimes the rates mirror the same rates as those who don't go to church, so much that the people who don't go to church say, why should I go to church? Because I'm going to be just like the people who don't go to church. Right? This is what John is saying. Be real. Be, let God work inside of you. But he goes on in chapter 2, and I'll, I'll come to a close. Chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, and if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Now, he's not, talking about, he's not talking about those that are born again, those that have been set free that are already cleansed from sin. You, you've already been set free from sin. He's not saying this with the expectation that you are going to go out and commit sin tomorrow. No, because of the power of the Holy Ghost in you, you're not going to murder someone tomorrow. Because of the Holy Ghost in you, you're not going tomorrow to go out and lie. You're not going to go out and do those things. But if any man sin, if there is a sinner, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he said, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ. We have an advocate with the Father. If we sin, we have a mediator. If we do mess up, if we do make a mistake, we have a redeemer. Amen. I'm thankful for a God of mercy. I'm thankful for a God of second chances, a God that will come down and tell Miriam and say, Miriam, you spoke against the man of God, and I'm going to plague you with leprosy, and you have to be separated from the camp. But a God also that seven days later would make her whole again and bring her back into the camp and let her go on with the children of promise as they marched on to what God had for them. Thank God for that, for his redeeming power. He said, we have an advocate with the Father. And who is that advocate with the Father? It is Jesus Christ, the righteousness. It is God manifest in flesh. Who is Jesus? He is the everlasting Father. He is the Almighty God. And guess what? He says, and this is the only time this word comes up in the New Testament. He says, he is the propitiation for our sins. Now, this is a hard word for us to transfer into English for Gentiles. The Jews understand the concept a little bit better than us. It, it's, it's more Jewish concept, but he is the propitiation. Literally, Jesus Christ is the advocate. He is the one that advocates. He is the mediator. He's the one that goes before. He's the high priest making intercession. But then he says, and he is the propitiation. Literally, he is the offering, not just the one doing the offering. He's not just the one making the sacrifice of atonement. He is the atonement. He's not just the high priest. He is the spotless lamb. He's the one that says, look, I will administer the atonement offering. I will pay the debt. But he said, I won't just pay the debt. 
I will be the payment. I will be the sacrifice. I will myself be the propitiation of sins. Amen. Not only for you, but for the whole world. That means if he would lay down his life and be the atonement for you, then he can save anybody. If he could save me, he can save anybody. Somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. He is the propitiation of our sins. And hereby, there it is. So not only do we have an advocate, not only do we have an advocate, but we have the test of our faith. And here he says, and hereby, we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So go back to that, go back to that, that, that next slide of the outline because I don't know, we have the advocate, he's our advocate, but then the second thing we see is the test of faith, the test of faith. So let's go back to verse number nine, here it is, or verse number three, thank you, sorry. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now Sunday morning I talked a little bit about faith. And I, and I explained it and talked about the definition of faith. Faith is not presumption. A lot of times people think you just got to have faith in God. And what they think, what they're explaining is presumption, just presuming. Well, if you just have faith, God will heal you. Well, you're just presuming that it's his will to heal you. Faith is the knowledge of God in pursuit of God. And we can look at that all throughout the scripture. We can go through that. Without faith is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. That's the knowledge of God in pursuit of God, or the knowledge of God in action. The test of our faith is this. So if faith is, follow me, and I'll, I'll close with this. If faith is the knowledge of God in pursuit of God, then the test of our faith is do we know God? And are we pursuing God? And here he says this, hereby we do know that we know him, and that is if we keep his commandments. So I can say all day long that I'm a believer, that I know God. I can say all day long that I know him, but if I don't keep his commandments, then it's obvious that I don't really know him. Because if I fear him, if I really know him, Paul said, Paul said, knowing therefore the severity of God, thereby, therefore, thereby, we persuade men. He said, because we understand. I understand. Hey, I know God. I know his love and I know his mercy, but I also know his justice. Right? I also know his judgment. If he's really God and he's really sovereign, he's really divine and supreme, I'm not going to get on God's bad side. I'm not going to toy with God. I'm not going to make God a liar. I'm not going to push. I'm not going to provoke God. If God really has all power, I'm not going to play around with this. Now, we preached, talked about electricity. We all thank God for electricity. We want to harness electricity. We want to use electricity. We want to leverage it in our life. But you better respect electricity. Right? You don't go over and mishandle it. You don't say, hey, I'm not going to provoke this. Because that thing will wipe you out. I'm not going to provoke God. So if I know him, if I really know him, I'm going to keep his commandments. If I really know that he's a good God and he knows better than me, then I'm going to listen to him. If I'm not listening to him, then that's me telling him and everyone else, no, God, I know better than you. Well, then I really don't know God. So the test of our faith 
the test of our faith comes down to this. James 1 and 22. You can write this in. James 1 and 22. The test of our faith is do we keep his commandments? The test of our faith, are we sinning every day? Or are we endeavoring, endeavoring to live our life without sin? James 1 and 22 says this. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. If all you're doing is hearing the word of God, and I don't know if you can get James 1 and 22 up there. If not, it's okay. You can write it down. If all you're doing is hearing the word of God and you're not putting that into practice, you're deceiving yourself into thinking, I don't need the word of God in my life. Worse, if you hear the word of God and you're saying, no, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I love it when it gets quiet on Wednesday night. Are you all tired? Okay, you're all tired. Stand together with me. I, I don't just want to be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer of the word. This is the test of my faith. Now, I'm preaching to the choir because you're here on midweek. Because you worked a long, hard day, weeks, whatever, and you're still here in the house of God. You're here. What I want you to get tonight, what I want you to understand tonight is God wants you to live at a level without condemnation. You can live above sin. Be real. You can live above sin. And when you live above sin, you don't have any condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Paul would write that to us. I'm going to tell you, if you can live life without condemnation, that's what he's saying. When you walk in the light, you're in the light. You have fellowship on. There's no condemnation. There's nothing that's weighing you down. Amen. Can we lift our, our voice to the Lord? Can we lift our hands and thank God? Lord, I thank you tonight, God, for your word. I thank you for the truth of your word, and I thank you for your spirit. I ask God tonight, Lord, let us live at the level that you want us to live, above sin, above condemnation, above the weight God, of, of, of the pressures of this world. Let us live, God, in the fellowship of God where the, where the mercy and grace of God, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. It sets us free. Let us live and walk in liberty and in faith and righteousness in your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Can you clap your hands unto the Lord tonight? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen, amen. The number one thing is, amen, to love God. Keep his commandments. Be real. Amen. I want to be real. That's what I want to be. I want to be real. I'm going to tell you, nothing else matters. We could pack, we could pack this house out. We could fill it from wall to wall. We could fill every seat. But if lives and hearts aren't being changed and people aren't rising above sin, then all we've done is we've got a gathering. Right? I want to pack this place out, but I don't just want to pack this place out with people. We can do that. Show a movie, give something away. People will come all the way around. But let the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that all right? Change people's lives. I want people to be.